ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ 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 ਯੈਸ ਸਰ ਯਪ ਵੈਲਕਮ ਬੈਕ ਅ ਵੈਰੀ ਵਾਰਮ ਵੈਲਕਮ ਬੈਕ ਟੂ ਅਨਮੋਲ ਸਿੰਘ ਰੋਡੀ ਹੂ ਐਕਚੁਅਲੀ ਸਮੈਸ਼ਡ ਅਪਾਰਟ ਦਾ ਮਿਥ ਆਫ ਮਰਾਠਾਸ ਰੀਬਿਲਡਿੰਗ i suppose if we do die and uh, some mythological deities exist they will really be after us hardcore because the amount of heartburn we gave their followers is just amazing <laughs> yeah you're not wrong there no not wrong and they were so so furious about it they made up these uh, false claims uh, there's a lady a journalist i suppose named ashmeet nagpal in maharashtra and she wrote a article during the corona virus on uh, baba deep singh you know defending their bar side they actually falsely referenced her saying that she uh, talks about marathas rebuilding their bar side this is a page called mighty marathas on instagram she never does i found the original source and then when they got caught out on that they actually had to run around and find another uh, text uh, just vantalal metas modern history of india something along those lines anyhow i also managed to obtain the original text had a talk with one of uh, metas uh, students it turns out that he never mentions marathas rebuilding their bars i rather he reads them for not becoming sikhs and ushering in a new age for the subcontinent I I don't fault him for that. I I certainly seen a recent tweet by I forget what his name was, but he had tweeted in Hindi as well that it is Sikhism to save the Dharam and the nation um and uh, he was getting quite a lot of hate for that but on the side the Sangat was um applauding him on. So um yeah, that's just the situation the happenstance that we happen to be in and of course I mean this propaganda doesn't mean absolutely it has no value to us so for myself i i will go through thick and thin to stick up and stand up against it um because anytime you mention something to degrade what they have uh you just see how much they uh how much they struggle and how much they flop around to try and come up with something new it's hilarious every time it is pretty hilarious when you go to uh the length of falsifying evidence to argue otherwise but your own evidence slaps you in the face i mean if it wasn't so serious it would have made it onto america's funniest home videos i'm sure if i submitted that for america's funniest home videos i would be a millionaire by now <laughs> right but anyhow today what we want to discuss well what we were requested to discuss and i felt this was something pretty intriguing which should be discussed anyhow is the history of the sect or the cohort among the sikhs known as the akali nihangs now if you want to unlock the history of the akali nihangs today you have to you have to traverse a whole minefield there is a emotional attachment to certain narratives there is misreading of 19th century texts then there is a elaborate oral tradition which it seems is only a modern construction you have certain religious texts which are allegedly religious texts which you suddenly discover might not be what they're made out to be and then suddenly you come to this one point in time where the whole history 
the whole authentic history can be unlocked if you were to understand the rise and eventual fall of the uh, body known as Missile Shaheed. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is quite a, it's quite an intriguing topic because such a, such a cohort or a um, co-organization, one would say, of the Akali Nhangs. Um, it's a very interesting, such an intriguing, such a fascinating story it is of these, um, of these what uh, Europeans routinely refer to in their text as fanatics or the, the crack brigade of eventually at one point of the Sikh Imperial Army of the Lahore Darbar. Um, it's so fascinating. It's so intriguing to try and unravel and just see what the basis is. And it's really the the original good spot where to really begin is of the of the Shahid Damaso. Right. And uh, as a slight background, all this really starts, I mean, this wouldn't really be in existence if it wasn't for Nawab Kapoor Singh, am I right? Definitely, yeah, without a doubt. So one thing which is really not known today is that around 1734-1735 after he created the Buddha Dal and the Tarna Dal. Now, <clears throat> one thing to clarify here, when we talked with his descendants, that episode is available in Who Was Nawab Kapoor Singh. They basically confirmed that the terms or even the bodies, the Buddha Dal and Tarna Dal did not exist before Nawab Kapoor Singh. And you as a historian could probably appreciate this fact that today this mythology has taken over that uh, the Buddha Dal and Tarna Dal existed. Well, the Buddha Dal at least existed from the sixth Guru's time. Some push it back even to uh, this uh, mythological age of Satyug where Jandi manifested it or Dushdaman manifested it. There are you know, several different myths about it. But speaking factually with their feet on the ground, Basically, it did not exist prior to Nawab Kapoor Singh. So he just uh, divides the Panth into two bodies, the Buddha Dal and the Tarna Dal. Now, obviously, the Buddha Dal, as we know, is the parliamentary, the policy making, and the preaching body of the Panth, right? Yep. The Buddha Dal would have no existence prior to the passing of Jatadar, Dewan Baba Darbara Singh. Nawab Kapoor Singh work for administrative purposes, seeing just how quickly um, and how numerous Sikhs were becoming across East Punjab in particular, uh, would have segmented these two different parts in the Burdadal and the Tarnadal in 1734. And it is true, the Burdadal were given the commandment to act as this sort of um, parliamentary, political, controlling force situated particularly in the Majja. Right. And one thing which most people do not realize, and this was actually brought to light later by Hariram Gupta, who did you know, considerable research on the history of the missiles and the Buddha Dal and Tarnadal based on Persian uh, records and other contemporary sources, is that for you know better outreach i suppose and to sort of take the responsibility entirely off his own shoulders nawab kapoor singh divided the buddha dal into five groups one was led by him this was the main group because he was the panth's president we can say that was his position would he agree with that assessment oh uh, yeah definitely um he had that sort of um that zeal in towards administrative authority from the uh from Umar, sir. 
Yep. And the second wing was led by Gurbak Singh. The third wing was led by Bag Singh. The fourth wing was led by Gurdial Singh. And now the fifth wing, this is very interesting, is uh, Ratan Singh Pangu, towards the end of his Shri Gurpant Prakash, refers to the fact that he wrote his Pant Prakash. He made two copies, the two original copies. Sitting inside Sham Singh's Bunga, his mansion, which is right next to Darbar Sahib, Sham Singh, he references, was one of the commanders of the Buddha Dal, who actually was the predecessor to Jassa Singh Aluwalia in commanding one of the wings. And the same Sham Singh actually fought his way to Rajasthan. And from Rajasthan, he sent aid to the Khalsa in Punjab. His daughter eventually married Mithab Singh, who is the Mithab Singh of Pai, Sukha Singh Mithab Singh fame, who uh, came and uh, slew Masarangar for discrediting the Tarbar Sahib and Amritsar. Mithab Singh's son was Rai Singh, who was a martyr for the Panth, and Rai Singh's son, in turn, was Ratan Singh Pangu. Yeah, this is the lineage that um, Nyang Pai Ratan Singh uh, Pangu claims, um, of course, uh, it's his personal lineage, and uh, it's something that he is—he is more than adamant on sharing. Uh, I believe it is in his introduction somewhere. Um, but yeah, this is this sort of gives the um, the basis of what uh, Bungo would go on to write. But with the Tarnadal, he Noab Kapoor Singh has another problem because the Buddha Dal basically has a structure here, so all the non-combatants, intellectuals, basically. Uh, Sikhs about 40 years of age. So really we are talking about people who know the arts of war, but who are warriors second, something else first. They're in the Buddha Dal. So obviously there is an air of maturity in the Buddha Dal. You know, if any conflict happens, it suddenly ceases because everyone is mature. They share the same vision. Dharna Dal, which is intended as the Panth's military, is a different story altogether. And if I understand correctly, as soon as he creates the Tarnadal, the Sengs within the Tarnadal suddenly start fighting with each other. Am I right? Yes, they go on some sort of internal combustion as to like where they become situated, particularly in the Dwapa and the Malwa. Um, they immediately, for some reason, go at each other's necks and try and seek internal power to destroy. It's quite difficult to try and dissect. And I mean, you would agree, nothing much has changed today, has it? Absolutely not, no. Everyone the is still stance. in each other's throats. <laughs> the Pontic stance is still there, yes. Yep. And uh, so, obviously, Kapoor Singh is the first Jathedar. If you look at the proper lineage of the Buddha Dal and the Tarna Dal, he sits down with all the others, the wiser ones from Guru Gobind Singh these days, the few survivors, and... um. Obviously, the veteran warriors from Panda Singh stays. He sits down and he, you know, obviously has a bit of a talk with them. Like, what in hell do we do with these young, you know, clowns running around? Or how do we control them? How do we rein them in? And suddenly they come up with an idea that maybe we also divide the Tarnadal into five different regiments under your command. So the first regiment is a uh, Jatha Shaheed. Now, Shaheed obviously means martyrs, you know, group. And it's placed under the command of <clears throat> one young warrior named Deep Singh and another named Karam Singh. Most of the Nehang veterans are in this Jatha. 
and they have their own regimental standard which flies at the akal takht and the urdu historian said the nawazi shali i think that's his name he actually mentions that karam singh was also the grandson of another very famous deep singh and this is baba deep singh now the problem we have is that obviously the buddha dal has all the senior singhs in it right Yes, it's a it's a basis of an elderly brigade or a military organization of seniority. Yes. So does it make sense that Baba Deep Singh, who's probably in his early fifties at this time, the Baba Deep Singh of Saboki Talwandi, do you think he would actually be the same Deep Singh as the Tarna Dal Jata Shahid Deep Singh, or there is a fundamental difference between both, which has been confused over time? I'm definitely under the belief that this has been mistranslated and confused over time. I'm I'm firmly from the stance is that these happen to have been two different deep singhs. A Baba Deep Singh of course a veteran of Baba Banda Singh Bahadur's revolution. Um he must have been anywhere in his 50s around at that time of the establishment of the Buddha Dal and the Tarna Dal. So it would be it would be very difficult to imagine him being a part of a, a more younger brigade. of course stationment out of takhtri damdamasab talbandi sabbo um which is the malwa region where the tarnadal jathas would have been roaming could have made, made him possibly an advisory to them but because of the the gyan and the the knowledge where he was centered out of upheld to him um by guru gobind singh's interactions there uh, it it would be difficult for to really attribute him to the tarnadal it's really safe to say that he was with his jatha a part of the burdadal i mean one thing which we need to look at down here obviously and you mentioned guru gobind singh ji's interactions so by nawab kapoor singh's time most of these uh, sikh veterans from baba banda singh's days and even earlier from guru gobind singh ji's days most of them are a dwindling number they are dying or they're falling in battle and he has a problem down here the first one is that amrit is given khande ki pahol has a very stringent criteria if you don't meet the criteria you're turned away in the first place second place is though uh, second problem is that there are a growing number of sikhs the population is increasing so how do you actually you know prevent opportunists from hijacking the faith so you need gatekeepers of the faith and who else but you know elderly singhs like bhai mani singh shahid and baba deep singh who have actually met the last guru guru gobind singh ji interacted with guru teg bahadur as well maybe there are some who have actually seen guru har gobind sahib ji like baba darbar singh who is obviously you know dead by this time so it doesn't make uh you know any sense that those gatekeepers of the pant those singhs those you know cores who have this a uh, old tradition passed on to them from the gurus would suddenly be allowed to command you know jathas which are going on the front line to fight and die it just doesn't make any tactical or even strategic sense in the long run no it doesn't add up to um have them placed in such a such an area of um of difficulty you talk about um these veterans and just being around from the time of guruji it, it makes sense to have these um these people um still some names come to mind akali mai pago kor was down in nandeed where she had left afterwards and found a sank sanction of her own and um even someone like santa babarocha singh who was out in peshawar and who would 
um, lived until 115 years old. Uh, these are these are people that you would want to be, of course, gatekeeping the faiths, trying to keep things in line, especially with numbers growing so fast. Um, you can see the quick decisions that Nawab Kapoor Singh was, uh, would ha- had to have been making at these Sarbat Khaltas that were being called. Yep, obviously. And then we come to another sticking point here before we move on. And I suppose this is something which has to be answered quite uh, comprehensively. So today we have the Misal Sheed, Tarnadal or Tarnadal Misal Sheed, whatever they claim themselves to be. Uh, obviously, it's a misnomer given that the earliest evidence we have when we piece it together, it turns out that while they claim Baba Deep Singh to be the first Jatedar of Tarnadal, in reality, Baba Deep Singh was one of the main primary advisors of the Buddha Dal. He never had anything to do with the Tarnadal, given his age and his experience. And more or less, Nawab Kapoor Singh seems to have permanently stationed him at Batinda, where he's actually, you know, at Damdama side preparing future uh, Akalis. Now, today the term used is Akali Nihang. So what many uh, current modern-day Nihangs argue is that there is a Singh, then there is a Nihang, then there is an Akali Nihang. So Akali is the one who is, uh, you know, recognized by the Farla Wali Dastar and they have other prerogatives within the Nihang Jatas of today. However, historically looking at it, was this always the case or there was some degree of difference between an Akali and a Nihang? It's safe to say that there was a degree of differentiation um, as we've shared, uh, the Akalis must have had some imperative of being gatekeepers or knowledge holders, Gurmat Gyan, you could say, of keeping the Ithyas and sharing of Sikhi together intact. Because the Sangat had grown so quickly and these numbers have been, been erupting right in front of Jatadar Nawab Kapoor Singh's face, um, there's this sort of differentiation was honestly required. And it's maybe something that the Agaltak could have even been managing themselves, um, i.e. having Sheed Baba Deep Singh placed in Batinda near Talwandi Sabo. So it's it's safe to say that to a great degree that these Akali gatekeepers would have been the upper echelon, whereas the Nehangs would have made the Am Fodjan, the common army men, the common infantrymen. So... Basically, what we can conclude is an Akali could be a Nihang, but not all Nihangs could be an Akali, because really there would have been Akalis in different, you know, capabilities. There would have been Akalis preaching, Akalis, you know, writing about the Guru Granth Sahib, and then obviously military Akalis, but then the military Akalis would be few and far between because of their age and experience. So really the system today of an Akali Nihang, that these are ranks, does not have any uh, historic precedence. Is that what you're saying? Yes, uh, that is that's roughly along the lines of what should be shared. Um, it's something you need to keep in mind about the Akalis that um, with age became more, and especially with the importance of what knowledge they'd had, uh, bear in mind that we've shared that these Akalis predominantly have had interactions with Guruji um, when before they had returned to Sachkhand. So this is something that we really need to keep in mind that these Akalis would have been very precious as time gone on. So uh, there's something that obviously the Panth would want to have intact and share and keep Sikhi growing with whatever Pachars they had went on. Um, this includes with 
Sheet Baba Deep Singh going on whatever tr- uh, trips he had in uh, the Malwa region. One thing that quickly comes to mind myself is I shared Sant Baba Rocha Singh, who an Akali in his own right, for decades on decades, was doing his own preaching tours in uh, the Pahari, Potawari region of West Punjab, North. Yep. And going off that, can we also consider that by Mani Singh would have been an Akali outside the military Akali complex, which has been stereotyped today? To an extent, it's something that I've considered and I myself have tried to try to think on um, because it's become nomenclature of just the Akali is within the Sikh Foj military complex. So, but yet comes combined with the attribution of knowledge. And Pai Mani Singh was exactly that. But there's a little bit of a distinction of him not necessarily always being um on a warrior per se, but this becomes untuned to the line of what we know as Sant Sipahi, right? Sant first, Sipahi second. So from from that basis alone, you could you could push it to that he could have been in Nagali, just a huge emphasis on the Sant or diplomacy side, as we've seen, which led up to his Shahidi in general. So basically, Akalis were gatekeepers and preachers that were also charged with a initiating people into the Khalsa after testing them, making Sikhs Sikh. But they had their own different roles because, you know, obviously Baba Deep Singh was a warrior under Guru Gobind Singh Ji. By Mani Singh, expert warrior, but he was more or less focused elsewhere at the time. So what we can say is that really the Kalis were like, a, you know, pre-20th century uh, SGPC. Is that what we're getting it? Arguably so, yes. Um, there's one thing I would like to mention before I do forget, um, not so I don't discredit Sheed by Mani Singh. He did, in fact, undergo the military training that any Sikh Fodjan would have. During his childhood, he was uh, quite capable of Shashtar Vidya and, of course, the Akara wrestling that he had practiced. He was, in fact, trained in that for sure, without a doubt. Yep. And obviously... Each individual chooses their own reaction to whatever times confront them. So moving on from there is a conclusion to this little part, at least. Would would you say the term Nehang referred to all Sikh soldiers? For example, like today, we say that that Singh is a soldier and that Singh is a doctor. Could it be at the time they would say that Singh is a farmer, but that Singh is a Nehang to mean that he's a trained soldier? I personally would want to say so even now, um, because Sikhi is not a class-based faith. So it would have been the common armyman, the common soldier, that who would have always been, you know, tiar par tiar, ready to go. So that farmer would have been, had trained, had baptized, would have been a nahang as well, the, the common person. Yep, because I believe that the Nang was exclusively a military rank. Dr. Tillo actually told us in the Banda Singh episode that Nehang referred to mercenary, but it also seems to have referred to a particular rank among the Sikhs and not a fact like it's become today. Uh, alongside, I also believe that Ratan Singh Pangu also calls fight Taru Singh Nehang. So the term really did not seem to have any one specific connotation. Rather, it was a militaristic term to generally uh, describe a soldier. So when Pangu actually states that Jata Shahida was full of Nihangs, we can safely conclude, and I'm, you know, I would be interested in uh, hearing your opinion on this, 
The Jata Shahida, being full of Nihangs, actually meant it was full of veteran warriors, so it had the most warriors out of the other four Jathas, which the Tarnadal was divided into. Yeah, that is that is a plausible conclusion there. It's things to keep in mind that um, it's so prevalent in any of the history available that the remaining of the Jathas eventually turned into missiles at the later Sarbat Khalsa um, were all of Sardars. Um, these happen to have been very new initiates. Uh, one Jatha that comes to mind, of course, is the Dallewal Jatha, eventually Dallewaliya missile. Uh, but then uh, Misildar Gulab Singh, born Gulab Khatri, who had converted to Sikhi, received Amrit in uh, the mid-1730s from Nabab Kapoor Singh himself. These, these are new. These are new Sardars, right? So it's it's very safe to say that... Um, with the Tarnadal and with the Jatha Sahid Shahidan would have been more or less the, the veteran soldiers. Yep. And the other Jathas that's interesting is that after Jatha Shahid comes the Jatha Amritsarya, which are led by another Karam Singh. So there's another individual named Karam Singh and his brother Taram Singh. And uh, these two are Khatris. So for all the people who shit on Khatris, here are two Khatris who would eventually go to lay down their lives for the Panth. Uh, the third Jatha, now this is where the confusion actually begins, is what Pangu calls Jatha Ansi. Now, Shamsher Khalsa is a history by Gyani Gyansing. And within the Shamsher Khalsa, Gyani Gyansing actually calls this Jatha. Jatha Ansi is called Jatha Sajjadia. And Gyansing basically plagiarizes of Pangu in saying that... Uh, Jatha Ansi, or Jatha Sahib Jade, as he puts it, consisted of the Guru's descendants and the descendants of other prominent Sikh personalities. Their main mission at the time seemed to have been just to preach Sikhi and bring more people into the Panth while preserving the Panth's historic heritage. But the mistake Gyani Gyansing makes is that he claims that this Jatha was led by the sons of uh, Binod Singh. And obviously, as Dr. Tillo informed us, Binod Singh betrayed Banda Singh. So it seems pretty impossible for Nawab Kapoor Singh to give those individuals that family command of this Jatha. So the mystery is cleared up by Hariram Gupta, who, based on Persian sources, claims that this Jatha was led by one Jeevan Singh. And basically, this Jatha had Palle, Trehan, Bedi, and several others. But unfortunately, Gyani Gyan Singh's mistake has filtered down to even Pangu's Panth Prakash because uh, Dr. Kalvant Singh or Professor Kalvant Singh, who translated it into English for the first time in the early 2000s, takes Gyani Gyan Singh's logic and vaguely paraphrases it in his translation of Pangu. So the impression one gets is that Binod Singh's children were leading, leading this Jatha when that's not true. No, it's not true. This is such a such a weird interpretation of where things came about because it is Jeevan Singh, uh, as Gupta would get at, um, leading this. Um, it is the the palle of uh, uh, the belief of palle under uh, Guru Amar Das and the Trehan from coming uh, Guru Angad Sahib's lineage, but it's it's difficult to say as to. Um, why exactly this had come up? It's it's it is a misnomer, and I'm I'm not sure what Gyani Gyansing was really trying to get at um, with even this different name. I hadn't heard of the second name even at all being shown anywhere else where he had presented otherwise from Bungus Ansi. Yet um, it's it is 
Jeevan Singh's and go, returning back to um, Nawab Kapoor Singh, it's difficult because one of his early childhood um, um, benefactors or would have had him really interested in going to Sikh, he would be, would be hearing stories of um, Banda Singh Bahadur and his Shahidi. He must have been, if, if I remember, just very into his into his uh, early teenage years, I believe, or could have even been 10, I believe, at that point. But um, it would be difficult for him to just growing up and hearing this, these stories, which would which fueled on his his future in Sikhi to sort of, you know, go back into it and have these uh, the descendants of Akali Baba Banod Singh as, as a part of this. It's 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 difficult. I don't I don't get why that would occur. Yep. And then when we move on from that particular Jatha, we then have Jasan, uh, Jatha Dasunda Dera, which is led by Dasunda Singh, who would later be the founder and first chief of Nishanawali Missile. And he was also the father of Maharani Sadakor, who was the mother-in-law of Ranjit Singh. Yeah, Dasunda Singh, a Gil Jatta, as far as I remember, uh, would go on to have this Nishanawali Missile. It's interesting, the Nishanawali Missile as well. Um, because they, after the Shahid missile, has been noted in Atiyas in history to have the second highest or a semi semi closer concentration of Nihangs in that Jata, whereas the rest, completely missiles afterwards, would be strictly of Sardars. Yeah, basically, I mean, so what we're getting at here is that where the rest of the missiles would be more of officer corps. The uh, troops and the non-commissioned type of uh, soldiers would really be in the Shanavali missile after the Shahids. That's just to put it in modern terminology. Right. Uh, the last Jatha, now this is the one which has become pretty controversial, especially given that this Jatha has always elicited much controversy, is Jatha Rangreta. Now, this is led by Baba Beer Singh Rangreta, who is also supposed, uh, believed to be the descendant of Pai Jeta or Pai Jeevan Singh Rangreta, who brought Guru Teg Bahadur's head back from Delhi and who actually wrote a very concise description of the Khandeki Pahol ceremony, which is found in his Shri Gurkatha. Now, Beer Singh Rangreta is of a low caste origin. His uh, Jata is full of lower castes. The reason here is that, you know, obviously Sikhi does not believe in caste. Nawab Kapoor Singh did not believe in it. But when you have a people like the uh, inferior castes who have been religious slaves for over a millennia, you can't really expect them to know what freedom is if you liberate them overnight. You need to prepare them accordingly. And more or less, these uh, people had the mentality of being the stormtroopers of the higher castes against Sikhs. So Jatha and Greta was not only tasked with seeing to their freedom, but also preparing them for that freedom eventually. Yeah, it's this Jatha and Greta that, my, that I myself um, I'm really intrigued by on uh, what like what they present in terms of the scope of uh, furthering the Sikh plight in um, in the 1700s. Uh, it as far as I know, it that's that's what they have been tasked for, and that's what they they had seen supervision to. Um, but there's a weird fallout afterwards, which I myself can't really explain. It's it's difficult to to sort of grasp where they get lost in time and translation there. See, because the thing is, since, in my memory, since the past 10 years, even uh, the previous year at Anandpur, so I have Hola Malla, 
Irangreta, Dal of Nihangs, today always brings up one issue that why is it that the Jats and the other Dals always discriminate against them on caste-based basis? And we had videos, we have videos from the past where they have uh, violent disputes have broken out among Nihangs of Rangreta, Dal and others. And I believe in 2018 or earlier, they submitted a memorandum to the Kal Takht requesting that, you know, fellow Nihangs not beat Rangreta, Dal Nihangs. And there seems to be some history down here where the Rangreta Dal Nihangs have sealed themselves off from the other Dals. They only cater to the lower castes, but at the same time, they also accuse the other uh, Dals of actually uh, administrating Amrit based on caste. So, you know, Rangretas are not given Amrit in the same butter. And I've actually read about this practice in many uh, old Granths and autobiographies and biographies of, you know, so-called leading Pantak figures. And regarding what you say about them being lost in translation, that is quite, that is a valid observation because suddenly Beersing Rangreta seems to have been written out of Sikh history. We never find out what happened to him. The uh, prevalent view is that he got slain in Peshawar. But then Naranjan Arfi, yep, he's actually a Rangreta historian who found contemporary sources which mentioned that uh, Beer Singh Rangreta became a thorn in the side of the missiles. He was allowed to exist as a Jatha by uh, Nawab Kapoor Singh. He was never, you know, ordered to structure or form a missile. He was basically all over the place. He would assist every missile. But what ultimately ended up happening is that as Nawab Kapoor Singh, after he died, we know that the missiles started fighting among each other. And Beer Singh was against this. And Charat Singh Sukarchakia and Allah Singh of Polkia had this ambition that one of them or their descendants would rule over the Sikhs one day as Maharajas, right? Yeah, that is that's true. And according to Naranjan Arfi, Beer Singh Rangreta got wind of these plans and he became their staunch foe. So Obviously, it seems there must have been some sort of incidents inside the Darbar Saibir, Sardars and Misaldars would have drawn their swords against their counterparts. Ultimately, they lured uh, Beer Singh to Amritsar on the pretext that, look, we will apologize and we will get together and try resolving this situation which is afflicting us. So basically, what they did was they lured him into the Darbar Saib. He deposited his uh, main weaponry with the guards outside, the Kalis outside at least. They seemed to have joined in and betraying him. Ultimately, he was ambushed by the Kal Takht and killed therein. His voice was silenced from history forever. Man, that's tough. But um, as somewhat expected of just basing on how much narratives have turned, I, I know about the the caste-based discrimination that occurs. And I mean, the Rangaritazal that is now there, are they're absolutely correct. And there's no reason as to why their voices shouldn't be heard. Um, I've I've heard it myself personally, not from old grunts or anything, but just looking at forums from whatever exists online about this Nihang Dal doing this here, blank here, insert blank here. So that that's that's a tough one to come by. Yep, and I suppose this beer singer get uh, you know story would make sense because Naranjan Arfi he needs to be relooked at, that Atias needs to be restudied and analyzed. His sources need to be looked at, but he was quite a 
quite a proficient historian. And on the other hand, the uh, current attitude of the Rangret Adal, like they're sealed off from the Panth, it does go to explain that maybe that history does have some sort of a truth to it, that they're very uh, isolate, isolated today. It's almost like they've exiled themselves from the Panth while also, you know, praying for its uh, upkeep, but they've exiled themselves away from other Dals. That does seem to be the case because you don't really hear about them and it's 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 difficult to say why, but at least now this somewhat paints a picture of what re, what's really occurring. Um, they seem to be true to their cause and uh, it should be something that's worth applauding, um, but it's, it's, it's difficult to really judge the whole circumstances. I mean, the, the whole Maharaja deal of either the Fulkia or the Sukhachukki as you shared with each missile of the time, looking to eventually rule... Um, and then, of course, the Rangretran being aligned pro Gurmat, um, it's 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 a hard one to swallow. It is a hard one to swallow, but it also seems the most possible. But then, moving on now, five jatas of the Tarnadal, and then suddenly, what happens is Nawab Kapoor Singh, after a near decade, I believe, counts again, and now there are sixty-five jatas of the Tarnadal. Yeah, the number absolutely explodes by March of 1748. Out of nowhere, it's multiplied from what was initially, I believe, 24 to just 65. And it's insane, um, just the count uh, alone of just what's occurring. And this is quite alarming, as it should be alarming to any sort of administrator that, wow, okay, we have a huge mass of bodies of troops here, of soldiers, and coalescing with different dals. And it's great, but something obviously needs to be done. And with the Akalis themselves being gate, gatekeepers of the the knowledge in terms of allowing into Sikhi, then there needs to be some sort of reformation uh, from the top down. And by that point, it's still the Buddhadal, which is stationed in Amritsar. Um, they go on to make this huge, uh, pass this large Gurmata, and this uh, law would be passed in that uh, out of them, 11 would be selected to become premier missiles. Right. And one thing down here which needs to be noted is what even contemporary European accounts observe is that every Sikh at the time who was fighting wore the dark blue, you know, electric blue apparel, which is today solely stereotyped with the Nyangs, because really that apparel came in pretty convenient for them when they had to camouflage themselves against the Punjabi, you know, wilderness. So everyone wore the same apparel. Everyone had the same uniform. But now what's happened is that 65 Jathas, and I suppose Nawab Kapoor Singh would have also had this in his mind, that it would be pretty easy to get betrayed by Banda Singh by any of these 65, because loyalties can easily change in such a disjointed system. Yeah, especially with 65, and there's little to no homogeny even pervading from the Akal Takht. I mean, by that point, Jathas had been moving in just nominally acknowledging Akal Takht as superiority, but not actually receiving any sort of command. So this is something that obviously he needs to address. 65 is absolutely huge. And um, uh, like that that vacuum of, of power, even concern of even just one or two Dals teaming up or even looking to consolidate something in Amritsar, it was possible. So just as Arnabab Kapoor Singh had done what he needed to do. Right. And now when these jathas are changed, and this is where Saeed Nawazi Shali, the Urdu historian who Gupta relies on, comes in as being important. Gyani Gyan Singh again seems to have made a mistake here. He mentions that the Baba Deep Singh was the head 
of uh, Jatha Shaheed. So he's confusing the younger with the older. They mistake filters down to uh, Kulvant Singh's translation in the Shri Guru Pant Prakash, I believe. I might be wrong on that. But Nawazi Shali claims that Karam Singh Shaheed was the grandson of Baba Deep Singh. But as we know, Baba Deep Singh had a nephew, but he never had any family of his own. So it's more than likely that Karam Singh was an adopted grandson of Baba Deep Singh. And what that explains is why eventually Jatha Shaheed becomes Missile Shaheed, with Karam Singh becoming a Missaldar under Baba Deep Singh, who is made the Sardar of Missile Shaheed. Yeah, this is the this is the pervading notion I've heard as well, is that Baba Deep Singh having no blood and the nephewship, um, then Karam Singh becoming adopted, which was quite actually routine in practice, and it wasn't something that was, uh, uh, I wouldn't say frowned upon, but it wasn't something that was overlooked. That did in fact exist with many, especially in the missile families when it come, came to handing down lineage, um, even hint, hint, look at Mata Sundarkot with her own uh, adopted son. So yeah, this is what ended up happening. And um, it's that this Karam Singh would become Misaldar and it seemed as though the Akali notation by that point with him receiving the Misaldari seemed to have began, at least to have begun withering away. He would relocate from Batinda and Talamandi Sabbo to, out of nowhere, Shahzadpur. Yes, he went to Shahzadpur. Now, there's also a story down here as well, which is quite interesting. And uh, it's again based on Gupta because Gupta did the most research on the missile so far. And unfortunately, we don't have any other historian who's pursued, you know, the Persian history of the missiles because Persian was the official language at the time and they have not found any new sources on the missiles. See, we are discussing missile shade and obviously, you know, Karam Singh makes Shahzadpur his official headquarters. But even before that, if you look at Baba Deep Singh, he's training the Kalis at the time. But at the same time, he's also, you know, dabbling into politics. And he's a very successful politician because Batinda, after he destroys the Pati strongholds in those deserts, basically, he's the sole power in Batinda. And from Damdama Sahib, his Akali and Nihang warriors sail out and they defeat any enemy which they come across. And... A contemporary observer at the time whose name is Harjaranadas, he mentions that the chief of the area at the time was one Darnat Shah. And Darnat Shah seems to be a regal title given by the Jats of Batinda to their ruler. And because there is no other ruler mentioned at the time, then it's safe to assume that Darnat Shah and Baba Deep Singh were the one and the same. That would be the case because this is we're looking at that ripe era, right? Where there's just no other contender. So, um, with him having stationed at Batinda, also once again, nice move by Nawab Kapoor Singh to have that sort of area coalescing into Sikhi. Um, he had consolidated that, and the Akali Nangs and whatnot soldiery were holding down the fort down in the Malwa. Basically, and again, the Akalis and the Nihangs were different. So some Akalis were commanding the Nihangs, but most of them were involved in Prachar and bringing others into Sikhi. But at the same time, Baba Deep Singh also had regal duties. He probably had regal paraphernalia as well. He was seen as being a king. That's how most uh, 
sources at the time referred to him as almost the king of Batinda. But given his age at the time, he was passing the responsibility more and more onto his nephew and the Misaldars. Ultimately, Baba Deep Singh is Sardar of Misal Sheed, goes on a rescue mission to rescue Sikhs from the Afghans in Amritsar and also rid the city of their infestation. Ultimately, he dies fighting at the Battle of Golwar. Again, you know, this is not to say whether he fought with his head on his palm or not. But irrespective of this, you know, event, you need to imagine the sort of love he had for Sikhi that suddenly at such an old age, he decides, okay, you know what, I'm going to go down there, rescue Sikh children and also rid Amritsar of this infestation. And it's amazing that this old veteran leads this, you know, uh, military, his Sheed army down there. But after him, there's a massive vacuum within missile sheet itself. This is one of the first missiles which actually starts fracturing among itself. So he's succeeded by his uh, nephew, Shodh Singh. But Shodh Singh dies during the Vadaka Lukara. And this is when Karam Singh Shahid comes into his home when he's elected Sardar by the missiles of missile sheet. But this uh, three-way split is quite big. So he sees that there are opportunists who are actually becoming Akalis. So he decides that the elder Akalis would be based at Damdama Sahib. This is, you know, group number one. They will train future Akalis and the younger Akalis he sends to Darbar Sahib. And he sends a whole group of Nihangs, which, as we discussed, were soldiers with them to patrol around Amritsar and guide this, uh, guard the city. And himself, he takes to uh, Shehzadpur. So suddenly, after Baba Deep Singh, Misal Shida is divided into three forms. The Akali Pracharaks, the younger Akalis, and the political faction at Amritsar, uh, at Shehzadpur. Yeah, that's precisely it. Um, it would be Karam Singh who would take over, obviously, after November of 1757. I recall him. I believe he was un- under a Sandhu lineage. And... Uh, yeah, this is the split that would come about. Um, and it's really interesting to note that uh, it, it is true that the Shahid Damaso would be the first to begin to fracture because it's right by 1760 that all of the Buddha Dalam Misildars, which were originally stationed at Amritsar, would leave, showing the first fracture of just the Buddha Dal force alone. And eventually they would go on to succumb and uh, uh, cease to exist entirely. But with these the Buddha Dal Misildars leaving Madhya, in comes in Karam Singh, um, which himself, obviously, Shahid would be the only Buddha Dal Misil not stationed in Madhya, but of course having Akali's uh, routinely stationing and of course upkeeping and uh, uh, custodianship. But he would have a smaller Jatha go there under Kali Baba Gurbaksh Singh stationed there. And then, of course, the political faction would go to Shahzadpur. This would be the first time that the any missile would sort of experience such sort of fa- fracturing because it would be from 1760 forward that a lot of these missiles actually began experiencing their heyday. The Nakai, the Pangi, the Levalia, all of them would be experiencing uh, such growth. But it is, in fact, firstly the Shahidna who um, start to combust internally at this moment. And it's intriguing to notice that when Nawab Kapoor Singh makes these 11 missiles, he never in- includes the Polkias. They're altogether different. And it's pretty hard to say whether they actually ever consisted a missile or whether it was a, you know, embryonic monarchy going on down there. But these 11 missiles divide themselves again. And Buddha Dal at the time is not 
you know, solely formed of Akalis as is claimed today. Buddha Dal at that time has the Singapuriya missile, Aluvalia missile, missile Shade, Nishanavali missile, Kroda Singhya missile, and the Dalevalia missile. So the six policy makers of the Panth are part of the Buddha Dal. And it makes sense that Missile Shahid is the gatekeeper because the Kalis were gatekeepers as the missile of Akalis, the foremost missile charged with Prachar and increasing the Panth is a part of the Buddha Dal because basically, you know, you need to control Gurdwaras, you need to control Rehat, you need to uphold, you know, Rehat Mariada, you need to follow Gurbani. Obviously, it makes sense that they would have more of a pulse on what the people believe and think than the other missiles because they would come in close contact with them regarding religious matters. On a daily basis, the Akalis of then the Shahidah missile incorporated into the Buddhadal military organization, they are interacting with the Am Sangat around Punjab. Um, these are the other missiles that you had listed are sheerly Sardar missiles. And yet they are actively um, leading diplomatic and administrative means as well um, via the Buddhadal conglomeration. So this is something that people need to keep in mind. It does get misconstrued a lot. Um, but it would be the Shahida missile completely as a benefit to have them such associated Nishan Waliya side as well um, to keep up Sikhi at, at the common level and for the Am Lok, the Am Sangat, the common folk to look at as guiders. Yep, and so the epithet, the title of uh, Missile Sheet Tarnadal never existed. It's historically wrong. It was usually Missile Sheet Buddhadal. Yes, definitely, without a doubt. Yep, and so the Tarnadal now, that still remains as the Pants military. Um, they do not have any policy-making prerogatives other than in their own domains. And the missiles which form the Tarnadal are the Pangi missile, Sukarchakya missile, Ramgarya missile, and the Nakai missile and the Kanaya missile. Now, interestingly enough, it seems that the first, uh, the second Jathedar of Tarnadal actually, after Nuab Kapoor Singh, is Hari Singh Pangi. Yes, it is in fact Hari Singh Pangi. And um, side note, just to keep in mind, you can just look at where all these missiles were expanding and the Tarnadal were out of Majja and they were out and about and controlling, uh, keeping the Sangat safe. They're the youth, they're on the move, you know. They are equipped with horses, so they're very quick movement against Afghan and Mughal forces. They can't be tracked. So it is uh, Sardar Hari Singh Pangi who would um, take over the leadership of the Tarnadal military org afterwards from. Nubab Kapoor Singh, who himself was controlling administrative affairs from the Akal Takht. So basically, Nubab Kapoor Singh was the president, but Hari Singh Pangi, we can say, was the highest five-star commander among the Panth at the time. Arguably so, up until the uh, the subjugation of Justice Singh Aluwalia, yeah. Yep, and... So what happens now is that obviously, you know, the missiles start fighting among themselves, much like the Delian League, which are formed to fight off the Persians, but the states could not keep together. And ultimately, Philip of Macedon subdued a majority. And then Alexander came to the front and the uh, world is as we know it today. <laughs> right. But after these missiles start fighting among themselves, obviously what happens is around the 1790s, I believe roughly, I might be wrong, Karam Singh suddenly dies. This is one of the last stable Sardars in the Punjab. He's far-sighted. He's a visionary. But in his old age, he retreats to Damdama Sahib. He dies and he's succeeded by his sons Gulab Singh and Matab Singh. 
who are basically toothless tigers. They don't know what they're doing. And the Shezadpur territory and otherwise is made over to Ranjit Singh. He subsumes it. And this is quite a big uh, misbelief, you can say, or an erroneous belief which people are lead to believe that Ranjit Singh had respect for this, you know, Sheikh missile. He never did. He subsumed their territory, which Gulab Singh gave to him without firing a single shot in defense. And the rest of the territory they had over the Satluj, where they had considerable influence, they gave it to the British. So basically, that was the end of Missile Shi. A very uh, quick and unfortunate destruction, yeah, under Gulab Singh's part, who would come over in, I believe, 1784. Um and he would remain, although Gulab Singh would remain alive well until the 1840s. He died in 1844, but um, the missile itself, uh, him succeeding the family estate, but the missile itself having become extinct in uh, 1809 after the 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 Sisatul states there would accept British protection, right? Right. So that's the end of Missile Sheed. However, however, Karam Singh had foreseen something and his legacy would live on. But even though it would be a legacy which would soon be derailed, the problem suddenly becomes that the Akalis at Tamdama Sahib decide after Karam Singh that, you know what, we don't like Gulab Singh. He doesn't listen to us. Stuff him. We are moving to Amritsar. So they leave Batinda as well. And the fireworks are just about to go off in Darbar Sahib. Because suddenly what you have is there is a further fracture among the Akalis when the Batinda faction reaches. And more or less, the interesting thing here is that suddenly two factions form among the Akalis. One has control of the Akaltakt. This is the intellectual side. It's politically savvy. It has a swag about it. You know, these are the younger ones and the older ones who are united. And they have sweet speech. That's the only way to put it. So basically, they have all the Misaldars and Amritsar under their influence. The ones around Harmandar Sahib itself, these are the more aggressive types. And they're led by an uh, individual Akali from the Nishanavali missile, whose name is Nena Singh. So what ultimately happens there? It's, it's really interesting what eventually ends on to occur here. It's that it seems that Akali Nena Singh would have, as you stated, under his control, the Harmandar Sab and being rambunctious and uh, flamboyant as he is, whereas the intellectual side, um, I believe it could have been at that point still Akali Baba Gurbaksh Singh, but I'm, I'm, he himself would go on to be martyred, made Shaheed as well in 1762. Um, but it's just constant uh, back and forth between this is what is true, this is not, this Gyani said that, this Granti needs to go. Um, it's it's just constant agitation. And while the Misaldars are out and about um, still having their own uh, affairs and seizing land, uh, the actual central authority, of course, with that being Amritsar, is under siege by this sort of, um, this sort of uh, another, yeah, another fracturing. Yep, and intriguing to notice now is that the aggressive Akalis, at the very least, actually seem to be thinking that they can take over Punjab. They can actually take over Khalsa Raj. And for this reason, even though Nena Singh is part of the Nishanavali missile, he uh, raises the uh, specter of missile sheath. Now, 
obviously after Karam Singh, you know, sent the Akalis away out of the missile, you can see that most of them suddenly end up in different missiles as Granthis, etc. And they seem to have assembled under the authority of head Granthi uh, Janchal Singh, who Jassa Singh uh, installed as the head Granthi of Amritsar after kicking out the Udasis. And mm. what eventually ends up transpiring is that Chanchal Singh dies and now suddenly these factions are at each other's throats. So there is a very uh, very knife-edge truce which suddenly gets violated by one side or the other. And Nana Singh decides that, well, you know what? My fists can talk better than the uh, Akali's pen, the uh, intellectual Akali's pen. And it's not unheard of that you know these factions meet outside in the streets and suddenly bullets are fired swords are drawn and you know courts are hurled each, each other and slowly but surely nana Singh starts becoming a terror to friend and foe alike yeah nana Singh, um who would of course um have his nishanvali ties there's some speculation of shaheed missile ties as well but uh, that would be uh negated as uh as um, by Ishar Singh, who himself was a Nishanwali, the Sardar in the missile would um, have him at his back. Um, he would make his way to Amritsar and sort of uh, have these, of course, these sort of functions going on. And it's it's really cutthroat and very uh, very unorthodox, uh, the, the sort of uh, route that he takes. Uh, it's, it's even interesting how even after the death of Hedgranti, Chanchal Singh, um, this would all even come about uh, how he would just make his way. And uh, this is this is the split that the Shaheed missile uh, would go on, or at least, sorry, not Shaheed, the Akalis themselves would find this path uh, going down. It's not something one would expect, especially where, as you mentioned, fist versus pen. Pretty much. And another thing about Nana Singh is that he hates the missile dust. He hates them with a pathological venom because basically they do not listen to him. And he remembers Baba Deep Singh's glory days, but the thing is, he is no Baba Deep Singh at all. I mean, Baba Deep Singh had a control in his temper. This man is, you know, pretty aggressive all the time. He's a real Nihang. He's a real crocodile, you know, because Nihang means crocodile in Persian. Anyway, he's taking a bite out of everyone. And ultimately what happens is that the fracture becomes so big that different traditions are being invoked and uh, different lineages are being invoked. Ultimately, Nana Singh decides on a new course of action. He suddenly decides that the Akalis are the Jaldavahir, the moving encampment, and they are one of the Takts of Sikhi. And the Misaldars are having none of it, but because he's becoming powerful, they decide to pay al uh, play along with him for the time being. So Nana Singh actually, uh, the, the original Akali, the star, it's believed was given to signal their, you know, status as gatekeepers. And it would have a slight farla, a piece of cloth fluttering at the top. Not too much, but enough to consist a distraction to the enemy in the field of battle because of the Sant Sapai, warrior mystic, uh, ethos. And at the same time, signal their, you know, uh, status as ensigns of the Panth, as gatekeepers of the Panth. Nana Singh decides to make quite a considerably longer turban, a bunga. And he orders that anyone who comes to approach him when he's wearing this, the star bunga has, uh, they have to come in, you know, rough cloths of sack. And very soon he starts attacking the various villages under the missile. So really innocent people are caught up in this uh, crossfire. And the Akal Takht intellectual Akalis and the missile dars get together one day. 
And next thing you know, Nana Singh is thrashed out of Amritsar and forced into Muktsar. Yeah, that is the path he would take. Um, Nana Singh is very much credited with the introduction of the, you could say, the pyramidal common turban that exists today. I just read that uh, in Bhai Khan Singh Nabbas Mahankosh, um, that there's, of course, a story that exists with a, uh, where Guru Gobind Singh would eventually get rid of his blue bana himself while uh, uh, proceeding around through the Majja, sorry, the Malwa. And uh, Nihang Pai Man Singh would take it and just put it on top of his, uh, the star there, and that's, this Nihang lineage would come up. But it would be a uh, most biggest attribution coming to Akali Nena Singh with this larger turban style. And yeah, he would just eventually just boom, quickly, out of nowhere, he's gone from... Sachkhan city Amritsar to just city Muktsar Sab. And now suddenly comes a chance for him to redeem himself. He's in Muktsar. He's being a terror to everyone around him. Basically what, you know, the Misaldars and Sardars, remaining Sardars, realizes that he's out of their way, could just let him alienate himself further from the Sikh masses. The more he alienates himself, the much better it is for us to finally crush him. However, that's a dream which doesn't come true because suddenly Shah Zaman, if I understand correctly, invades from Afghanistan. Yeah, this would be, I believe, Shah Zaman who would be coming over from Afghanistan for continuing what would be his Durrani forefathers' legacy, of course, getting into Punjab and obviously making their way to India. And this would open up the field for Akali Nena Singh to actually try something here, right? Yep, obviously. And now the thing is that older Sardars like Jassas Singh Ram Gurya can't be bothered, you know, taking on Shah Zaman. And many decide that, you know, what, just let the guy get through as long as he pays us some sort of a tax. But, you know, there's a young Sukarchakya Sardar, blind in one eye, and his mother-in-law Sadakor. And the son-in-law Ranjit Singh aggressively argues that, no, we need to defeat this guy. We need to show him up. Now, of course, Ranjit Singh knows no one else is going to help him, but at the very least, if he actually succeeds in chasing Shah Zaman away, at least he will, you know, have the massive spot for what he wants to do, which is eventually realize his grandfather's dream of subsuming the Punjab under one authority of a singular Sukarchakya Maharaja. And as Ranjit Singh is confronting Zaman on the periphery, the few Afghan stragglers are finished off by Nana Singh, who does this to sort of claim some redemption for himself in the public eye. Right. Um, this would be one of the few final uh, attempted Sarbat Khalsas called by then Maharaja Jeet Singh, or eventually coming on too. And uh, of course, the most of the Sardars were just not, just not having it, we're not hearing it. So um, as, of course, the young Sukrachak is doing his best to hold it down, um, a, a very much old and aged uh, Nena Singh comes from the from the rear guard and uh, does what he can to uh, I, I don't know what was going on he's trying to assume some sort of glory but in front of who he had alienated himself already in the hierarchy um, commoners must have been aware at least earlier in Amritsar and then now Sidi Mukhtar Sab that there's something up with this man um, so to whose avail and to whose appeal it's 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 interesting. It's not too difficult to say, but of course he's trying to get glory for what what the Sangat is, whatever they would be paying attention to. But um, it's it's quite interesting to see uh, the the take uh, that he would get or what he thinks he could come about with by uh, ensuing such. 
Unfortunately, though, he's up against a man who's got brains and brawn, and Ranjit Singh decides to run circles around him. So, obviously, somehow or the other, it seems that some sort of a rapprochement is affected among all the Kalis. And Nena Singh is made the sole commander in Ranjit Singh's size, as far as he's concerned. He sort of, you know, unofficially declares him as the de facto head of all the Kalis, as far as he's concerned. Now, Suddenly, it seems there is a massive purge of Akalis, Nana Singh versus the Akalis who oppose him, Akalis who oppose Nana Singh versus him. And uh, Ranjit Singh subtly picks, you know, favorites. So what you have now is that the Akalis as a gatekeeping institute are done. It's their uh, final days. Odasis and Nirmala suddenly start, you know, supplanting them. And the few Akalis who are left are under the command of Gurbaksh Singh, who is a Ranjit Singh creature. The rest are either subsumed with the Nana Singh, or they go to their homes and become Grantis, or they become regimental Grantis in the Lahore forces, or they're basically finished off in these uh, violent infighting belts which happen throughout Punjab. And then, just as suddenly, Nana Singh dies. Yep. He is just out of the picture there. And this is a, a really like abrupt and insane decline that one would not expect of this, you know, the Akali Sion, which uh, exists in the Sangat. But yeah, you're, you're, you're correct. Um, many of the, the the understanding ones would go on to seek um, roles within the Lahore Darbar, of course, still being Tarmak, still being Panthak. Um, and then Nena's force would dwindle um, interestingly, uh, much faster than it goes, what go, people go on to claim of the Bandai Khalsa, Bandha Singh Bahadur and whatnot. Um, and yeah, it's just out of the picture there. And it seems as though that these Akalis that had um, accepted the Lahore Darbar, um, there's a connotation that even, of course, colonial European writers, Cunningham and whatnot share, is that they are have no moral bounds to, or sorry, earthly bounds to what sort of um, uh, responsibilities exist here, planetary. And um, maybe that that's an insign of what had happened here with, of course, Naina being gone and shifting towards the Lahore Darbar, um, seeking monetary gain or not, regardless, um, just being content with the, with the situation at hand and uh, understanding a, uh, what a younger Ranjit Singh uh, is coming up with. Basically, and just as suddenly, though, there is this another massive fracture again. They just keep on fighting among themselves. That They just can't stop fighting among themselves at this stage. Mm. Now, suddenly, a new faction arises among the Akalis. So these Akalis who support this faction, who consist this faction, are saying, well, okay, wait a minute, we had these glory days, we want those glory days back again. Now we're just grantees or gatekeepers. We have been supplanted by these other, you know, priestly classes. What's the point to our existence? And just as suddenly, someone else comes along who decides, well, you know what, here's a good opportunity for me to somehow cement my own grasp on the Sikhs. And this is a very charismatic individual who's an Akali, and his name goes down in history as Akali Pulasen. Right. So as uh, Naina would be lost in time, it would be around 1800 uh, exactly in that year that um, Akali Pulasen, um, young student of, of course, what has been shared as uh, uh, Akali Naina Singh, um, 
he would come about onto the scene. Him and his jatha in particular would make their move onto Amritsar, and they would just station there um, with little to no resistance for whatever would have been the follow of pre previous prior to Akali's. Akali Baba Fula Singh is there, and um, uh, what would be shared now is eventually that he would assume the Jatidari of the Akalta. So basically, the thing is, Pula Singh is a new breed of Akali. He's a new generation of Akalis. The Akalis of Guru Gobind Singh these days are dead. Akalis of Baba Deep Singh's days are dead. With Nena Singh, the last you know link in the chain is cut off from the past and the present as far as Pula Singh is concerned. But then again, the gatekeepers as far as Ranjit Singh is concerned are led by Gurbak Singh, who's based at Akal Takht. And while Akali Pula Singh claims all these Jatedaris, people just shrug their shoulders and move on, ignoring him. So ultimately, he decides to resurrect the uh, name of Missile Shaheed. Again, this has no effect whatsoever. So he sits back down, draws up a plan, and then he decides that the three to 4,000 Nihangs left over from Gulab Singh's days who still follow him, he decides to take them to Ranjit Singh, makes an offer which Ranjit Singh doesn't refuse, and next thing you know, he's made Jathedar of the Akal Regiment in the Lahore forces. Right. This would be in January of 1802, roughly, um, which would still, uh, just cool note I always love adding, um, is that uh, 1803 would be roughly the last Akali, as far as I'm concerned, uh, would pass away. It would be Santa Baba Rocha Singh, who was far out by Peshawar and Abbottabad. Of course, he's not really in a position to pay attention at age as he is 115 years old. He would pass away, and that would be roughly the last time of the Akalis from Guruji's era living. January 1802, and it's Maharaj Jeet Singh seeking to oust the Pangis from now Amritsar, where he has previously in the 1790s taken Lahore. And um, Akali Baba Fula Singh would be there, and he would make his mediation to avert bloodshed, surprisingly. And from this gain, obviously the Pangis, as whoever the lineage and whoever the descendants of controlling Amritsar would have seen that their prior two would have uh, left Lahore, they accept this mediation and led by Akali Baba Fula Singh. And in return, Maharaj Ranjit Singh gives him charge of the holy shrines in Amritsar and leaving charges from the Sardars and the Sikh court for maintenance. And and he would be given the Akal Takht. And um, that's where the beginning would be there. It would be in January of 1802. But he is a pretty tempestuous personality. He's more in control of himself than Nena Singh, but now and then his bouts of anger, you know, obviously become pretty legendary. Uh, there is a British account which states that one day the Akalis at Akal Tak refused to pay him uh, what he demanded from them, and suddenly he gets up on an elephant and marches to Amritsar to wreak havoc on them, except Ranjit Singh intercedes at the last minute and stops him. So... Until the Europeanization, the Europeanization of the Khalsa forces, Akali Pula Singh actually seems to be quite an ardent Ranjit Singh supporter, even though now and then they have their clashes. But suddenly when the Gori are brought into the Khalsa army, see now the thing is it's one thing to arm yourself with guns, right? The white man has a gun, I have a gun. It's an altogether different matter to actually get a white man to come and teach you drills with the guns and how they march and how to fight with the gun to make you more effective. Now, Pula Singh prefers the technology, but he does not prefer the tactics. 
and suddenly he's at odds with Ranjit Singh and the clashes start happening even more frequently. Yep, it's when the Europeanization of the Sikh Imperial Army would begin is that these sort of, um, of course, obstacles would come in between the relationship. Still, regardless, Akali Baba Fula Singh is appreciative of what Maharaj and Teaching has established in Punjab, of, of course. But um, there's like one note where it would be in 1809 um, where himself, Charles Metcalf, uh, East India Company representative, would make his way via a Muslim escort into Punjab to visit Ranjit Singh and Amritsar, or it could have been Kasur. And um, the Akali Baba Fula Singh's uh, Nihangs, they attack, and uh, they end up, um, they attack that British envoy. And so this is the, this is the, you can see this from the understanding, of course, it, it goes on into the 1810s, um, that white man has gun, I have gun, but white man does not know gun, I know gun, right? So this is the sort of, this is something that, of course, Akali Baba Fula Singh didn't want to accept. Um, I've heard stories a few times that uh, Akali Baba Fula Singh really pressed Maharaj Ranjit Singh to uh, look at the uh, the 52 commandments, the 52 hukums of what is purported to be of Guru Gobind Singh's, or could be uh, could be potentially of a of a um, an Anki Singh of that era. Um, and yeah, this is the sort of strenuous relationship that would come on, and it would only persist much more after. Now, interestingly enough. By this time, the names Buddha Dal and Tarna Dal are long dead. They don't exist at all. Even the concepts are forgotten, uh, unless they're mentioned in historic texts of the era. So no one basically even oh, remembers I'm... that these dolls used to exist. Right, right. I'm sorry. You may have cut out a bit there. I may be experiencing something at my end. But yeah, you're right. Um... Uh, yeah, there's, it just doesn't exist anymore. If anywhere, it's nomenclature. Uh, it, there's the belief that it may have just become a just really minor synonymous term with just Akali. Or uh, because the infrastructure which had blown out by 1760 of the Buddha military organization, it's gone. So uh, it, at minimum, at the most small scale, it could have just been a synonymous term with just Akali or Nihang or just a force um, of what I believe Cunningham shares as the Akali fanatics or a crack brigade of Maharaj and Jeet Singh. But yeah, there's, there's no evidence of such. And interesting, I have never read in the past decade any account mentioning Buddhadal and Akali Pula Singh or Tarnadal and Akali Pula Singh in the same sentence. No, I personally have not either. It's something that I do end up asking once in a while if there's any sort of resource available uh, sharing such, but no, I even to the point where it had Akali Baba Fulsing been aware that he himself was also jetted out of Buddha, it just doesn't seem such. And here's the interesting thing about Akali Pula Singh is that at the same time, there doesn't seem to be any uh, concern about religious affairs. There is a crossover with Akalis from, you know, Hazur Sahib coming and going, but they're bringing their own, you know, traditions which do not agree with Sikhi. And there is this intermixture until ultimately no one knows what's going on. And the Akal regiment is just seen as another army, but altogether an exotic army. But they're pretty much branded about as Ranjit Singh's cannon fodder, really. Yeah, that's what would, I believe, end up happening with what British sources would share at 
uh, Peshawar, I believe, would be the final attack there, or Noshera. And, um, yeah, it's they, it's just belittlement, slowly by slowly, to just becoming what would be an, an Akali regiment in a grander Lahore Tarbat army. And this is the city eventual stance that would come come about, not just from understanding, but just from what we see happening. And uh, Kali Baba Fula Singh, by this point, would be the really late 1810s. And it's just, on. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure myself of actually even what, what's going through his head. Mm, because there are some interesting uh, observations. Gulcharan Singh, who wrote Ranjit Singh and his generals, tracked down some primary sources, and they mentioned that... Uh, Contrary to the modern Nihang perception, Pula Singh was, yeah, well, he was fanatical in terms of, you know, letting non-Sikhs into Punjab. Otherwise, he seems to have been very relaxed, even in his uh, Mariada, as far as the Bana was concerned. He actually quotes a source which says that uh, Pula Singh distinguished himself by wearing a magnificent white custom fitted to the body with a broad double-sided gold-laced bodic hanging round his neck and interwoven with light silk scarf crossed in front of his chest. Hmm. Interesting. And, yep. No uh, conspicuous the uh, star Bunga. No Farlewala Dumala. And even Gulshan Lal Chopra in Punjab as a sovereign state, uh, actually this is what he thinks, is that unlike other members of his sect, Ulla Singh has the air of a true courtier instead of a religious fanatic. So some things could set him off, but most of the time he was a very chill Akali. And it's Gulcharan Singh who finally summarizes that, you know, Ulla Singh wore a white turban with the blue Nihang insignia overhung with a variegated Huron's plume. So other than, you know, war, Akali Ulla Singh never wore his banner. Hmm. Very interesting. And all this seems to have been carefully designed by him to acquire power from Ranjit Singh because William Moorcraft, who actually passed through Punjab, writes that I also had a message from Pula Singh, the Kali, expressing his dissatisfaction with Ranjit Singh, his determination to attach himself to the English, and his readiness to carry fire and sword wherever I bid him. I declined the interview which he solicited. Wow, did he actually, huh? It seems that Pula Singh started casting himself as a new era Nuab Kapoor Singh because the uh, clothing matches with what Kapoor Singh supposedly wore. And it's almost as if he decides that he wants to supplant Ranjit Singh. But ultimately, the problem here is that he also realizes that he is relevant only due to Ranjit Singh. That's absolutely true as well. That's actually more than true. It's that his only stature itself holds with the Lahore Darbar existing. And um, just the acknowledgement from Maharaj Ranjit Singh, which keeps him in place. Maharaj Ranjit Singh was, um, I do like to say he knows how to play his cards right, but he did understand, he did have a great respect of, had he not implemented it, he did have a good respect of Sikhi. And I was sharing this the other day, um, that in even nominally just uh, accepting what Akali Fula Singh has to say, um, it, it sat well with him because, as you shared, um, it's been noted that Akali Fula Singh was more of a chill man, and um, and that's something that Ranjit Singh both liked but also encouraged. And that encouragement just kept going, kept going, with just a simple acknowledgement by Maharaja Ranjit Singh of just having him around at Amritsar, right? Yep, that's right. And ultimately, after Akali Fula Singh's martyrdom. 
the Akalis, the Akal regiment, everything is forgotten. Basically, the Akal regiment fractures further until it ceases to exist. And most of the Akalis go to their Bar Saib and others become Granthis in various regiments and others go back to their villages. Everything is forgotten once again. And Buddha Dal and Tarna Dal, basically, they have ceased to exist. Although it seems Pula Singh made constant references to Misal Sheed, but by this point in time, Misal Sheed, Buddha Dal and Tarna Dal are long dead. There is no lineage. Everything is effectively ended. It's the end of the line for them. It is, yep, end of the line. It would be March 14th, 1823. Um, that would be the Battle of Noshera, I recall right here. Akali Baba Fula Singh would be Shaheed. And it's interesting because um, the next is semi out of nowhere as Akali Baba Hanuman Singh. That's the story for uh, a little bit later. But um, in between that span of Akali Baba Fula Singh Shaheed up until the First Anglo-Sikh War, um, it's just more diffusion. It's just slowly just the scene just unraveling. Akali's once again becoming more regimental grantees, taking up roles in uh, other areas in Punjab where they could, keeping preaching tours, and um, just working with the Lahore Tarbar in general. Basically, Kapoor Singh intended them to be like the uh, Nomotetai, which were uh, present in Athens in the late 5th and uh, 4th centuries, you know, large groups of lawmakers or observers who upheld the common law. But obviously, after Karam Singh Sheet, they failed in that. So it's not really such a glorious history, is it, when you look at it, that everyone started fighting among themselves and failed in the missions they had. Ultimately, the British invade Punjab. There are massive battles. Sakali Hanuman Singh comes along. The Battle of Sabroa, after that, he's betrayed by the Polkias. But interesting to notice that even though the modern Buddha Dal call him a Jatedar, Hanuman Singh never acknowledged himself as such. He just uh, called himself an Akali, serving at Darbar Sahib. He was joined by Akali Bodh Singh. But after they die, the remaining Buddha Dal goes to Hazur Sahib. Now, there's a very interesting story here. I don't know if you've heard it or not. Hazur Sahib is under the uh, administration of a Mahant named Allah Singh Akali. And a Mahant with Akali. Mm, interesting. Yep, and it seems the Udasi influence down there had uh, actually uh, changed many, altered many things, you know, at the time. And Allah Singh knew that the British were very prominent in Hazur Sahib and Nandir. So rather than upset them, he went into the jungles. He found the Buddha Dal Jate, oh, not the Buddha Dal Jatedar, I'm sorry, I'm just uh, misquoting here. He found the Kali Jatedar. And the Jatidar told him that he's going to resurrect Buddha Dal, Tarna Dal, Masal Sheed, all these dreams he had to go back and kick the British out. And Allah Singh suddenly takes out his dagger and stabs him in the gut. Mm, I'm on be completely honest with you, I can't say I've heard that, no. Yep, it's uh, mentioned in the Master's Presence by Nadar Singh and uh, Paramjit, even though they do hold the uh, other story that the modern Buddha Dal has a lineage which is uh, attached to, you know, Nuaab Kapoor Singh. Anyhow, Allah Singh is killed in the ensuing fracas. Ultimately, when these uh, remaining Punjabi Akalis and Nihangs rush to Hazur Sahib to massacre the Sikhs there, Allah Singh's wife holds up their baby Hazura Singh, and ultimately they drop their weapons, the belligerents, and just go back into the forests of Nandir. They melt away in these forests, they remain there for three decades, 
and ultimately under a certain Gyana Singh, they come back, but as established, there is no lineage. And then suddenly we have the start of the modern Buddha Dal and Tarnadal, which claim ancient lineage, but is that a correct lineage or not? I'm honestly under the sole imperative to say it, it, it's really not. Um, just even pushing back a, a false narrative of prior to Nabab Kapoor Singh Berk is doing a lot of injustice to what um, the original Buddha Dal from 1734 to 1760 actually did. It's I personally see it as quite disrespectful, but uh, no, it, it doesn't hold up. Um, there's just no sort of claim because even afterwards when Jatidara Jasasing Alubaliya consolidated the force, a lot of historians, Gupta like and whatnot, see as the final, really the final nail in the coffin for Burdadal is the united siege of Sarahand on, uh, in January of 1764, right? So it's, that is their exact history there. And it's just this drawing out is, is, uh, uh, me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's disrespectful to Gurmata General. Basically, they call themselves Buddhadal and Tarnadal Nyangs, but these new Akalis now coming into the Punjab and the Nyangs, they do not have that sense of history. They considerably change the ranking system. They start claiming lineages. And then suddenly we have another mystery down here. Now, I took this uh, quote from Gyan Gyansing's Naveen Panth Prakash, Volume 5. Not really a considerably well-publicized volume, but there is a part in there where it makes a claim about a text which has been doing the rounds for the past few years, uh, the Sarablo Granth, which is claimed to be solely a Nihang text. Right. This is a uh, this is a Granth, sometimes Mangala Charan Puran. Uh, it does exist, and uh, it's it's quite odd in both just uh, what it is and just how it comes about, right? Yep, and I took it to a Granthi Singh who actually once worked as an archivist for the SGPC, so he has a sense of history. He's come across this before, and he actually told me, like I presented the quote to him and said, look, there are experts on the internet who are saying that this quote actually mentions Sarblo Granth, and he translated it for me. His translation is uh, quite different. It's also pretty intriguing as well. Now, Gyanni Gyan Singh, we must remember, was going off on observation. And he's not such a well-read author now, is he? Not all the time, no. Not really. Right. So not many people know what his works consist of. So we need to be actually looking at those works as well. But this quote in question claims that Ad Guru Te Dasam Law. You know, that they're, the way it's translated is that the Ad Guru, the Dasam Granth and the Sarb Law are reverential for the Panth. But what's intriguing is the way it's actually translated by the Granthi is that the illumination is from Ad Guru and Dasam. These Granths are reverential for the Panth. Right. So it's this exact quote that I myself um, had seen and was being shared, was being put around online on from Naveen Panth Prakash. I too had actually gone to uh, my, uh, a local Granthi at my, my own Gurdwara and I'd sat down and been quite specific and straightforward to him. I, I wanted to uh, see what was his take on it. He himself said that he has done Katha at least twice on it. And uh, I had him read that to me. And he, yeah, it's exactly the same. He said it's it's illumination. It refers to light more. Uh, there's no mentioning of, of this, this next grant on its own at all. And now this extra grant, since it's been brought out into the public domain, it's argued that it's a secret text. It was only with the Kali Nihangs that's used to somehow justify the lineage which they claim today. But 
there is an interesting story about this Granth as well. Uh, have you read the Buddha Dal's take on it? I I have. I, uh, I had access to one, the an uh, English translation, which it came from their printing press, and I I taken a look at it. Yeah, it's intriguing that this you know this text this uh, Sarvlostik is actually written by an individual named Harnam Das Udasi. And he's also claimed to be a certain Nihang Singh. Now, two very different names, but it seems it's the same individual. Now, what's actually very interesting is that according to Harnam Das, like in this Tik alone, now this Tik, it must be remembered, is actually written, the introduction at least, is written by the Buddha. Dal. Now, according to the writer of the introduction, who I believe is currently Akali Diya Singh, who was Santa Singh Nihang scribe, this text first entered the Punjab for all purposes in 1803. Right? Yeah, that's what had been shared by Diyal, yeah. And this text is written by Guru Gobind Singh Ji. It has Beeras in it. So, it seems pretty odd to me that the Khalsa and the Punjab undergo a near century of genocides and holocausts and no one gives them this text, even Guru Gobind Singh Ji makes sure that it's kept secret from them. And suddenly when everything settles down in 1803, you suddenly bring this forward and say, hey, look, this also has beat us. It's, it just simply doesn't add up. I mean, if it has to be us, you want the Sangat, you want the Pants to succeed. And if it's something that... You, you know, you see as a means of getting the Biras up in the in the Pant. Uh, why not it be shared in such an era where two Kalukaras had happened um, and there's just constant alienation, just constant discrimination from uh, Mughal side, Afghan side, Kabul, Delhi alike. Uh, it, it just doesn't add up. It's... It's pretty interesting because it also comes down to the fact that in our 1775, Sukha Singh at Patna Sahib claimed that he actually received it in the forests. Now, apparently he went yet for a walk in the forests and met in Udasi who gave it to him and said, hey, bro, look, here's uh, another uh, Gurbani. It's the Sarblo Granth. And if you look at the criteria established in the Buddha Dalstik, now that's pretty interesting, that criteria. So many people questioned that criteria in 2003. The internet is full of it. Now, point one to uh, prove its authenticity is that all the Sampradagyanis, Mahapurushas, and Pracharaks believe Sri Hazur Sahib Nandir to be the place of composition of Sri Sarplogranth. Okay, look, that's generally accepted. Fine then. That, but that doesn't prove it's authentic. Then right. comes number two. A Panthic gathering of great Sant scholars and Gurmukhs was held at Gurdwara Redu Sahib and it was unanimously agreed that Sri Sarblo Granth is the composition of Guru Gobind Singh Ji. Now, here's the thing. Pandit Tara Singh Narottam of the Nirmalas, for all his faults, raised his voice against the Sarblo Granth. He used the same criteria which any modern historian would use to argue that, wait a second, if there are Akalis and Sikhs going to and fro from Hazur Sahib to Punjab, why isn't this Sarblo Granth being brought to them for the Panth's benefit? Why aren't they giving it to the Panth at the time? Yeah, it's exactly that what the, the, this uh, Nirmala Pandit was sharing. It's that if, if there is constant movement from Punjab to Nanded and right back, what, how was it not at one point at all just carried over and uh, shared with the Sangat there? Uh, what, what was really holding it back, you know? 
Then obviously is the third fact, which is that apparently Gurdwara Langar Sahib was known as Bunga Sarbloji, but Sarblo was quite a prevalent term in the Panth at the time. So we don't know whether the Sarblo Granth is even written at that Bunga. Now, these theories don't stack up, but Harnam Das Udasi, who actually is credited with making that stick, and he's called the most avid researcher on the Sarblo Granth, that's the theory he provides. Now, Gurinder Singh Man of the USA actually went to Punjab and he saw two manuscripts of the Sarblo Granth at Anandpur Sahib, and both of them bear the date of 1698, if I remember correctly. Yep. Now, one of the manuscripts he saw contains compositions by, by Gurdas Singh. Right. Bhai Gurdas Singh was um, at one point as well uh, for a period of time the head granthi of Harmandar Sahib uh, for a little bit in there where the the scuffle between of course Jajar Jasa Singh Aluwalia and other head granthi uh, Chanchal Singh had happened. Uh, between the Kalis and uh, Chanchal Singh, yes. And uh, the other point he makes is that one of these Sarblo Granth manuscripts also has the Bajitar Natak in it. Now his theory, as far as he understands, is that since the 1980s, there has been the circulation of the Sarblo Granth, but, you know, it's pretty much restricted. No one has actually studied it. No one has been allowed to study it unless they use the Sampradai criterion. However, his belief is that it's also possible that, you know, these Sarblo Granth manuscripts do not have a general concurrence on the content. Something has more, something has less. It can be that after Anandapur Sahib was destroyed by the enemy, many Sikhs would have lost their houses, their lives, and after the dust settled down, some surviving scholars, distant scholars, would have come along and they would have tried collecting these uh, Sikh manuscripts or Sikh you know, writings made at Anandapur, compiled them into various grants and then gone to Hazur Sahib. That's you know, what he's implying, but most of the theory is provided by Sardar Kapoor Singh, gone to Hazur Sahib and completed them there, or their successors would have completed them there. Maybe one of these compositions where there was a general concurrence among them had the date of 1698, and then suddenly these successive scribes started copying that date into the Granth, even though 1698 had long passed. It is possible, uh, just due to, of course, mistakening and like we share all the time, it's uh, just lost in translation. It's possible that uh, such a such a thing could have occurred at 1698 in particular, where it's it's baffling that should even anything Khalsa be mentioned then in in the Sarbulogant, uh, it's it's uh, quite questionable, of course, to say that. Uh, how this could have uh, translated into uh, anything that would have been the writing of Dasan Pitta. Also brings another aspect down here is that, you know, I think Professor Harban Singh of the Sikh Encyclopedia side, even he mentions that it has many compositions within it which were written after Guru Gobind Singh Ji, almost, you know, 50 years after the Guru, but they're accepted as being Guru Kit, so there's a lot of confusion down there. But then many individuals argue Baba Banda Singh made copies of it or that even uh, Baba Gurbak Singh made copies of it. 
Those theories fall flat on their face when the most prolific researcher of the Granth Harnam Das claims that for the first time it came into Punjab in 1803. So that brings us to the second question is that, why is it a Gupta text? Why didn't the Guru proclaim it among the Panth? And why only now are we learning about it? Even though many people claim that due to the British it was hidden. Yeah, that's a path that um, like tends to be taken as well due to British this, due to British that. Uh, you mentioned that um, Harbant Singh was sharing in the encyclopedia as well. It always comes to my mind as well. Uh, there was like a reference to some work that was written by uh, written by some um, someone Krishna, I believe, in 1719, which is in there. A stanza references is in there at near the end uh, of the Sarbalogrant. It, it it just doesn't add up. And you also go on to the fact that had copies been written or even shared by Banda Singh, uh, there's no really reference or evidence of it being distributed to Punjab when he entered Hisar in a. Uh, October of 1709, right? Right. And why Harnamdas claims this to be Guru Kirt is anyone's guess, but it might be that because the Udasis had a long run control of Hazur Sahib, maybe they were the ones who finally finished this grant and started bringing it into the Punjab. Otherwise, there is no evidence that this is Guru Kirt. Because, I mean, even if you look at the Hazur Sahib tradition, Hazura Singh is the first Akali to make a comprehensive, you know, study of it. And he calls it Guru Kirt because it mentions the 1698 date. But other than that, his references are as equally vague as Santa Singh's that this line matches with that line, which is in that grant, which is in that grant. So there's no other stronger criteria other than, you know, accepted on blind faith. Yeah, it's that blind faith thing that really got against people, uh, of course, during the era of the early 1900s to study it. I mean, Pai Khan Singh Nabba also agrees with Bandit uh, sorry, as well. Um, it's it's quite elusive in its contents. Um, the one, once again, I'm, I'm citing Harban Singh, it, it, keeps, it keeps coming to me. It's that um, the... The phrase or the signature, the sign off of Guru Gobind Singh, it's well, um, it doesn't match uh, whatever is being shared, the contents of the Sarbal Granth, but supposedly because it's 1698, it has to be Guru Kirt, right? Well, that's the thing. And I mean, even Sardar Kapoor Singh had this belief that there was a grant, maybe Smond Sagar grant or something similar created at Anandapur. And afterward, Sikhs are trying to relive that glory by trading Dasam grants and Sarblo grants, but basically, there is no general concurrence in the Pant as to what is Guru Kirt and what is not. And it's creating an unnecessary debate, unnecessary war, which we shouldn't even be fighting among ourselves. Completely unnecessary. I agree with you there. It's just it's just not worth um it's just not worth our time. We really as a Pantic whole as a stance have better things to do. But um supposedly this is here and it and it pervades and it goes in and out here and there. It's it's quite unfortunate. It's, I see it as quite detrimental just to even be just even be uh, bringing it up or just, you know, just, just keeping just stuck on this phase, right? Yep, that's the thing. So regarding a conclusion on the modern Nihang lineage, as far as we are concerned, the modern lineage does not effectively correlate with the historic lineage. It should be Shida Misal Buddha Dal rather than Shida Misal Dharna Dal. Right. That's, that's where the, the stance is right now. Um, it, there's no... There's no accurate correlation to what's being shared today, but uh, for some reason it pervades. And uh, but as far as we know, it's it's Nawab Kapoor Singh Birk and uh, 
Sardar Jassa Singh Aluwalia, and that's that's the the true and honestly sole existence of what Budadal as a military organization had, had stu- stood. But um, it's there's been a spiraling now, and uh, it's the Nehang in general, the claim of uh, of uh, the sort of um, I like to share the the control or the um, the commandment over just having Nihang lineage as a whole is specifically Buddha uh, uh There's 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 more questions than answers. And if I remember correctly, the book is available from Sikh National Archives Canada. It's for free. Commentary on the Sikh Gurdwaras Act 1925 by Dr. Kashmir Singh, and it was actually uh, given in writing by the Hazur Sahib Committee and the Patna Sahib Committee during the Taram Yudh Morcha, that after the uh, Sikh Gurdwaras Act is implemented you know, nationwide, they would be more than happy to come work under that act. They would place the Taks under that act, and they would also be more than happy to install you know, scholarly committees to study their traditions and rights and authenticate which ones are factual and which ones are not. So even that consensus was uh, achieved back then, which unfortunately has been forgotten today. That that is true. Actually, I had seen that this um the with the Gurdwara Reforms Act being passed that there was a consensus uh across the uh, subcontinent for this to happen. Uh, with this is I believe Akali Hazura Singh, right? Uh, uh, no, not Hazura Singh. Hazura Singh would have been dead by that time. I, it might be actually another Hazura Singh. I remember it's either Jaginder Singh Moni or another one called whose last name was Tupia. I can't really remember other than that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But unfortunately, the consensus today is lost. The, As far as we can tell, the necessity to study history as it is is lost. And we have all these fantastic tales running around, but none of them are real, and they're doing injustice to the true Akalis and the true Nihans who died for us historically. Right. It's once again the um, it's coming to me as uh, what by Hansing Nambat shares the it's the uh, Nihang who uh, who um is has no regard is uh, immediate no regard for life are always ready for martyrdom but it's it's this um it's this narrative here that's uh um it's being twisted and it's it's quite unfortunate uh the 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 conclude the sorry the consensus which yeah which came about from the Gurdwara Reforms Act. Um, it's lost, and uh, while it was there, and now it's um, everything's being misconstrued, and uh, it's it's quite unfortunate, really. It is. So, as a historian, what steps would you like people to take to learn the truth? As a historian myself, and uh, I like historiography as well. It's something that I'm really keen, and it's it's one thing to look at things, but it's another thing to to dissect. And uh, it's always our analyses that um, uh, that uh, sometimes get the best of us in what we're trying to share. Uh, but there's definitely things that we need to keep in mind. Um, for me, the always biggest factor has been what can we share and use dissecting the path of Gurmat. And this is something that I genuinely believe needs to be achieved by all. Um, we are the Sarbat Khalsa for a reason. And we... we are forever united we are the one month so there's just no gain from even having these sort of um unnecessary arguments myself so uh, through through the the lens of history we need to 
understand the fact that as I've shared before, it's that history and our understanding gets better over time. And this is, uh, this is something that we all need to play a part in, especially in an era now where Indian propaganda is absolutely massive. And, uh, uh, this is something that we collectively as a whole need to come together and, uh, stand on as our, as our one panth, right? Obviously the true history needs to be brought out, but whether it will or whether it not, only time will tell because people take very emotional stances on these matters. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm constantly sharing all the time. We are in deep need of a Singh Sabha Lair 2.0. That's just where we're at right now. And it seems as though, this might could be a part two coming up, but it might be every so 110, 120 years that this the, the Sangat falls into this sort of this sort of loophole. That's right. And the original Akalis ended up inspiring Baba Dial Singh, the original Narankaris, Baba Balak Singh of Hazaru. They ended up inspiring many revivalists who ultimately paved the way for the Lahore Singh Sabha. So there is a connection down there, a legacy, but it's not the legacy which we have been led to believe today. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we apologize for wasting your time. <laughs> no, there, once again, not at all. No, this is great. Um, it's always fun coming on here, and uh, um, it's it's great to, to share. And uh, obviously, the dissection done by yourself is always amazing. Um, and uh, definitely just looking forward to more. Vaheguruji ka khalsa, Vaheguruji ki Vaheguruji ka khalsa, Vaheguruji ki Fatih. Thank you.